The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. And sponsored by March Communications, connecting innovation and people. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. This is an emergency version of the Echo Chamber, and I'm joined by Paul Holmes. Paul, welcome. Hey, welcome. Thank you from uh, snowy London. Snowy and cold, and it's been a very quiet week in the PR world. (laughs) So I thought we should record a podcast. Yes, well, it was it was both, um, you know, sort of a long time in the coming, and then rather abrupt in the announcement. So, yeah, interesting week. So, the big question that everyone is asking, Paul, where were you when Burson Conan Wolf <laughs> merged? Um, I was where I always am in my in my office in London. <laughs> um, I, I I was asleep. Which, yeah, blissfully unaware until I woke up to 200 messages, um, which was fun. So your well, first... I mean, sorry, from that point of view, by the way, one of the fun things about this was that, um, you know, the, the rest of the Holmes Report team were, were sort of out of the gates and, and, and putting copy to bed before either you or I really had time to react. So that's a, that's a neat thing. It's like a whole new world, Paul. I know. <laughs> I know. It's it's um, it's an amazing. It did not leave. It did not leave me hankering for the days when I was the only editorial person in the company. Oh, maybe just a little bit. No. Yeah, maybe just a little bit. So, what was your first instinctive response when you saw this news? A sharp intake of breath, a single tear. <laughs> um. I, a very mixed emotions, I think. Uh, you know, I mean, I think um, sort of a feeling that that the inevitable, to a certain extent, had happened. Not that that um, both both Donna was going to get a reward for. Um, the, the really extraordinary performance of Conan Wolf over the last few years, mm-hmm. um, you know, which, which I think is is down to her leadership and her vision and her, um, you know, very um, single-minded um, pursuit of those things. Mm. Um, and also, you know, the inevitable payoff for Burson's continued stagnation um which you know while while Burson is not alone in you know sort of standing still over the last decade or so mm. um it it is an agency with a unique past mm. and a unique heritage and i think you know something something had to be done um so um 
and and then you know just a little bit of sadness that the Burson brand is is being subsumed really into mm. Conan. So before we talk about the merger, I'm I'm curious, um, where did Burson lose its way? Because at one point, as we all know, it was the kind of premium standard for public relations. It was this pioneering global PR agency seemed to have everything. It was a great ad agency at one point. Um, you know, Harold Burson in charge, loads of people, an incubator for successive golden generations of PR talent. What went wrong? Um, I think, um, I, I think probably, um, what what I, I hate making up words, so forgive me. A sort of um, establishmentarianism, um, you know, that um, as the PR business began to change, and the first the first inklings of this probably came in the dot com boom, mm. um, you know, in the sort of late nineties and and the beginning of the century, um, and then have become more and more exaggerated over the last. Um, over the last five, ten, five or ten years, um, I think you know, as as an established leader, and probably the PR agency most associated with the sort of old PR establishment, um, person had to like like everybody else, sort of make this calculus. Um, about how much it would change and how much it would try and hold on to what it already had. Mm. Um, and my, you know, my guess is that it got the balance wrong. It, 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 it was insufficiently um, it, it, urgent in its transformation. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, um, you know, as a series of CEOs focused more on um, stability and maintenance and stewardship um, than on innovation and disruption. Mm. Indeed. Now, we have a long read, which will be up on the site by the time this podcast drops. It's only available, at least initially, it will only be available to our premium subscribers. But in that long read, you describe this merger as 34 years in the making. Um, even, I mean, you weren't, not even you were around when Conan Wolf was acquired by Burson Master. Um, no, I, it, it, the acquisition um, happened probably about a year before I got into the, the PR business. Right. Um, and, and, but but when I arrived at PR Week in London in the mid '80s, um, it was already a fait accompli. And while Conan Wolf did not at the time have a presence outside of the U.S., um, even even in London, I was aware of the the, the speculation that Burson had bought Conan Wolf. Um, you know, primarily to be the consumer practice at Burson, which at the time was, you know, 90% business-to-business, corporate, public affairs crisis. Um, and, 
you know, I, 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 I think there's been a constant um, sort of um, conversation in the PR business about, you know, how much it made sense for Burson just to turn Conan Wolf into its consumer practice because Conan Wolf had this reputation for creativity. Mm. Uh, it, it was a primarily consumer-focused agency. Um, and Burson, you know, at, 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 some, at some time seemed like it, um, you know, it felt the consumer business was beneath it. Um, at sometimes it recognized the value of being in the consumer business, but never really, you know, cracked it in a way where you would have said Burson was one of the great consumer PR agencies. Mm. Um, and more recently, of course, the, the irony is that uh, Mark Penn, at that time, Burson Marstella CEO, uh, did try, I think, did have a plan to to try and integrate Conan Wolf into Burson, um, which didn't go anywhere. And of course, Penn left shortly afterwards. Um, but along that kind of 34-year journey, as you, as you pointed out, it's often been suggested that the two firms would come together in one way or another. I think the surprise here probably is that it's a reverse takeover. Well, I think I think that would have been a surprise mm. ten or fifteen years ago. Right. Um, now. You know, again, you know, I think many of our readers will remember sort of Conan Wolf um, coming together with GCI. Mm -hmm. um, you know, about fifteen years ago, uh, ten years ago. Ten years. Yeah. And um, at the at the time, you know, frankly, um, there was a lot of speculation in the industry that Conan Wolf wouldn't survive. Yeah. Um, it had it had gone through its own uh, very difficult period. Its um, its head former headquarters office in Atlanta had disintegrated. Um, mm -hmm. You know there was there was a fair bit of acrimony. I mean, I you know I I remember seeing some comments from from Bob Wolf mm. uh, that um, you know that that were fairly sort of strident in blaming. Um, New York for, for Atlanta's demise, uh, whether that was Conan Wolf New York or, or YNR New York or WPP or you know, but but clearly it was um, it was a difficult time for the agency, and mm -hmm. uh, you know I think I think you know Donna Donna spent the first five years at Conan Wolf um, more focused on keeping things afloat and you know turning turning the ship in the right direction whatever the nautical metaphor for this is um then then you know then 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 really you know coming up with a growth strategy and it's only in the last 10 years i think or the last you know particularly the last five years that Coda wolf has had this sort of clear way forward to becoming something other than a sort of you know, light version of um, the uh, bigger, um, yeah. more established consumer agencies. Yeah, it has become something very different, uh, you yeah. could argue. Yeah. Now, doesn't all of that pose a risk? So I, I, I wrote a story a couple of days ago, maybe it was yesterday, I'm losing track of time, um, 
rounding up reaction, and pretty much everyone focused on Burson. Uh, for obvious reasons, I guess it's it's you know it's such a famous brand, um, and you know in many ways that's kind of one of the the, the big angles here is is the sort of transition um, of the Burson brand, but not many people looked at what it meant for Conan Wolf and the risk that that it poses to a, a winning formula, a very special I think winning formula that that Donna and her team have developed over there. Yeah, um, I mean, first of all, I think it's I think that's understandable, in that um, the you know the legacy um, power of the Burson brand is still immense. Um, you know, D David David Brain called it the second <laughs> um, the second biggest brand in name in in PR. Mm. Um, I'm. I'm, I'm sort of assuming that he thinks it's second to um, his former home at Edelman. Yeah, um, he did say arguably, would, though. So, I, yeah, I would, I would, I would say um, Burson is still arguably the biggest name in public relations. Mm. Um, you know, its its heritage is um, unparalleled. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 Harold's name frankly, is synonymous with a lot of things that are great about our business. Um, but but you know, that, that quibble aside, I mean, I certainly understand why the primary focus is on Burson Marstella. And there's still this feeling, right, that, that, um, that Burson should be an industry leader, that, that Burson should be um, one of the two, two or three big brands in public relations. Um, you know, Conan Wolf, um, you know, frankly, has thrived on being a challenger brand. It's thrived on, um, you know, its scrappy underdog uh -huh. status. Um, and um, and yes, you know, being a being a challenger brand, being an underdog. Um, being a disruptor is going to be more difficult as part of a $700 million agency um, than it was, you know, as a, as a $250 million, um, you know, competitor. Mm. Um, and, and, um, and, and of course, you know, one of the, one of the questions that's going to, that, that's going to, I think, be part of this discussion is and, and look I, I do think as a we as journalists and and you know business business writers and business thinkers um, in particular love big personalities and love to attribute success to an individual um, you know and so the question of whether Donna is going to now um, find that three quarters of her time is devoted to sort of solving the problem of that that is Burson Marstella, and whether therefore um, she'll take her eye off the, you know, the non-problem that is Conan Wolf, um, and therefore Conan Wolf will suffer as a consequence is an interesting one. Um, you know, in our conversations, you've made the case that you think Conan Wolf has a really strong. 
um, if if somewhat un, unheralded mm -hmm. um, leadership team, both in the practices and the regions. In the regions. Um, that's more than, in the regions, I would sorry? say. In the regions, primarily, yes. I would say. That, that's more than capable of um, continuing that. Though, again, you know, that there, um, it certainly appears that they are going to have broadened responsibilities, too. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, it, it certainly, okay, so it's certainly not without risk. Mm. Um, at the same time, um, since I've just spent the first sort of 10 minutes of this podcast saying that I felt that the, the Burson approach was too conservative and that they didn't take enough risk in mm. terms of transforming, you know, that they were focused on stewardship rather than on, on disruption. Um, it, it's then it's then sort of uh, somewhat disingenuous to turn around and say, oh, but this is too risky. Mm. I mean, I, and you know, if it, it, you have to look at it in the context of WPP's right. PR holdings overall, yes. which have been profoundly disappointing, yeah. um, something has to be different. Yeah, so that, I think that's a critical point. So the merger takes place because of Burson's stagnation um it's seen as a way to you know i guess turn the, the sum of the parts into something that's let's turn the whole into something that's greater than the sum of the parts i guess um yeah. which as someone who's covered many mergers and i know you have two things don't always work out that way but notwithstanding that you made the point about the context for wpp it happens against this backdrop of tough tough kind of mar not so much market conditions but but disappointing performance not just from wpp's pr agencies but across the board um, and the response appears to be that agencies will combine there'll be more consolidation although it's, it's kind of i think kind of euphemistically referred to as simplification when I wonder if it actually makes things more complicated. Um, so it's a bet, a bigger bet on scale. And one of the things, the arguments you make in your piece is that it comes at a time when scale has never been more of a disadvantage. Yeah, I mean, I think look, we we have um, we have beaten this particular dead horse. Um, <laughs> You know, per, per, perhaps to to an um, uh, 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 an extreme, mm. but the the reality is that um, you know small agencies, um, specialist agencies, boutique agencies, independent agencies, are growing at a much faster rate and have been consistently over the last few years than the giant holding company agencies. Mm. Um, Particularly um, the WPP and Omnicom agencies, but but frankly, it's 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 broader than that. Um, and um, I, I I you know I don't I don't expect that trend to reverse itself. Um, mm -hmm. You know we're we're in a we're in a, a you know a fast changing world that that's not going to slow down. Um, if anything, the pace of change is going to accelerate. And adapting to change is um, much easier for a 10, 
$20 million firm than it is for a $500, $700 million firm. Um, and it is particularly easier for an independent rather than a publicly traded company, um, both the sort of approvals process at the, the giant agencies um, for, for a change of direction or, um, you know, investment hires or whatever is, is, is more complex. And, um, and, and the scale makes it more difficult to, you know, suddenly, suddenly replace, you know, 50 people who are not fit for purpose anymore with 50 new people who bring new skills and new talents and, and new, new capabilities into the agency. Um, mm. and, and, you know, and, and what, what's more is WPP is, is clearly on some level aware of this. And if you go back over their, their um, earnings statements over the last few years, um, Martin always... Um, calls out two or three um, agencies that are performing better than average, right, in, in the PR sector. Um, in the release that came out yesterday, it was Conan Wolf, Glover Park, Buchanan. Hmm. In the past, it's been Finsbury and Herring Schupiner, um, but it's always the smallest of their businesses never the largest of their businesses. I mean, oh. WPP itself is evidence of the, the thesis that small specialist boutiques are outperforming giant global behemoths. So oh. to create the biggest behemoth that WPP has ever had, you know, at least has to raise questions about the strategy. Mm. On the other hand, you know, if you're WPP, what are you going to bet on if you're not going to bet on bigness? Exactly. I mean, you, you can't... You've made, you've made that point. Yeah, so. you can't... I mean, what are the other options? You can't divest, really, and you can't disassemble. Um, so no, it's... Look, those of us, Those of us who love the PR industry... Mm. Um, I, I, I don't want to say it. I don't want to say that as if somebody who disagrees with me doesn't love the industry, right? But but those of us with a certain point of view and who love the PR industry would like to see nothing better than the senior team at an agency like Bursa Marstella find a private equity partner that believed in them, um, buy themselves back from WPP, free themselves from those shackles, and restore Burson Marstella to its former glory. But that is, you know, a utopian fantasy that at this point I think is um, is just not going to come true. Yeah, that, um, that tale is kind and, of biblical in its, sorry. In its scope and... Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, and 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 what would be the end game for the private equity firm? Presumably, you know, the the only end game is selling it back to something like WPP in ten years at a massive profit. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, at some point that just becomes a, you know, redundant. Mm. Um, but but so given the reality of the situation which is that Burst Marsteller is and will continue to be part of a giant holding company um you know this is the 
this is sort of the it's it's not even it's not even necessarily the logical thing it's it's almost the inevitable thing mm. for a giant holding company to do mm-hmm. um you know sharks swim forward scorpions sting frogs mm. giant holding companies consolidate and albatrosses <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I know that. Um, I, I know that's a metaphor you are um, extremely fond of. Well, there's been a few uh, I've seen. There's there's the the super tanker, the becalmed super tanker. There's yeah. the, there's the albatross. Um, there's the anchor. I mean, I you know I think albatrosses either you know um, take flight or plummet mm. to the ground. Yeah, indeed. Um, so if we assume that, you know, really, I guess, WPP, as you put it, it's the inevitable outcome that they, they combine the agencies. Why do you think they're not considering something a little bit different? For example, combining Conan Wolf with Y&R or, I don't know, H&K with JWT? and actually looking at cross-disciplinary integration? Well, um, look, they are. First of all, I suspect that there is considerable consideration being given to that because Mm. they're doing that at Ogilvy. Um, Yeah, but I I don't know. I sort of see that as a a special case. Uh, And maybe I'm wrong, too. Uh, Well, okay, so is is it a special case or is it a logical starting point? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a fair question. Um, you know, I I, I mean, look, I, I Martin, um, uh, you know, the word horizontality has entered the dictionary over the last um, the the last two or three years, um, primarily because Martin coined it and is um, is it, you know certainly a couple of years ago was using it as every opportunity, mm. um, closer integration between the disciplines. Um, and, and again, this comes down to, to, you know, what are you going to do when you're big? You have to, you have to try and turn that bigness into an advantage when you're offering, um, you know, this vast menu of marketing services, um, you have to push as many of them as possible, um, on the client at the same time. Um, that's, that's not quite the only conceivable benefit of being um, big, but it's certainly the most obvious and um, the most superficially appealing. Mm. Um, and, and, and so you'll see more of that, whether, whether that means, um, you know, whether that means that Hill and Knowlton would be a particularly, I think, uncomfortable fit right now for JWT, um, you know, H and K is still like Burson, mm. far more corporate than it is consumer, um, far more public affairs and issues um, driven mm. than um, marketing driven, and um, you know, and mm. you would you would do it if if that changed, or if you wanted to accelerate that change. Mm. Um, yeah. So, I was talking to David Brain, uh, former mm-hmm. Edelman APAC MIA CEO, and of course a, a former Burson 
executive himself and someone who's run a lot of agencies. And I, and I actually asked him, what, what exactly are the advantages of scale um, for someone who has run big agencies and small ones? And he, he basically landed on two. So obviously we've had, you know, in our, in our pieces we've had people who you would expect, like Richard Edelman, saying, you know, I do, I do believe scale matters. Um, and, you know, as, as the owner of the, the biggest PR firm in the world, not a surprising comment. Um, and David actually landed on two. So the first one was um, it gives you the capability to challenge for the, the bigger assignments where clients do want a degree of consistency across multiple offices. Um, of course, the issue with those, as he said, is there are less of those assignments around. Um, but if you look at Weber and Edelman, you know, you could probably make the case that something like 15 to 30 percent of their revenue comes from clients like that, mm -hmm. which is not insignificant, right? And that is probably appealing to Burson and Conan Wolf, for whom it's a much smaller proportion, that kind of revenue. And in fact, I don't think any network has really been able to challenge Weber and Edelman for that type of business over the last five years, certainly not on a consistent well, basis. To me... To me, that to me that comes down to that that word that you know that I don't know if you're quoting or paraphrasing David, but consistency. Mm. Um, right. Because honestly, it, at most agencies, it's a myth. Yeah. Um, you know, it, you 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 would. Okay. Um, I'm I'm trying I'm trying to stay on the right side of hyperbole when I say this, but you would get greater consistency by hiring. Um, for example, um, the U.S. the U.S. operations of um, of, of Edelman, mm -hmm. the Asia Pacific operations of Ogilvy, and the EMEA operations of Ketchum. Wow, now that's would... <laughs> controversial, but yes. Well, okay. I mean, I, you know, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, pl I'm not necessarily picking on these brands yeah, as sure. much as I am. But then you would by hiring any single agency to handle all three of those regions. If by consistency you mean quality, if by consistency mm -hmm. you mean um, delivering great service, right? And, and you'd probably want to be even more granular than that. You know, you'd, you'd, you, you'd get greater consistency by hiring. Um, you know, Herring Schupener in Germany, Lorente and Cuenca in Spain, and Finsbury in the UK, mm -hmm. um, than you would by hiring any single European agency. Mm. Um, what what David is and 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 you are calling consistency, I would call convenience. Mm. Um, you know, single point of contact. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that. The, the consistency and and yes Edelman and Weber are the two firms that are closest to having solved this problem mm -hmm. and to actually delivering you know Edelman and Weber are both um, both agencies that are are very strong in all three of the major regions of the world mm. um, but but you know, to to say that even they have completely solved it, I think, is erroneous. No. Um, but but yes, so there is a certain kind of client mm -hmm. that wants the convenience. 
right. of a single point of contact um, that can then go out and implement in multiple markets in multiple regions. Mm. Uh, less and less, the, I would argue. Um, I, I think it fluctuates. It does, but I, I think broadly, I think there's fewer of these types of assignments. And it's really hard to measure, but I, I suspect if you could measure it, you would see this kind of fluctuation up and down, but the overall trend is probably a kind of steady decline. Um, now, the second point, which was an interesting one that David made, was that you need scale if you want to modernize a multi-specialist agency. You can't do it without scale. You can't bring in planning and creative and analytics and have people working across multiple practices and industry sectors um, without scale. And he actually, you know, and, uh, I mean, I guess perhaps Burson is an example of that in that they had a lot of people, but they didn't necessarily use that scale to modernize. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think that there is, um, okay, so I think you need to be a certain size in order to make the necessary investments in um, areas like data and data and analytics and content creation um, across all of its you know many forms these days so you know if if you are a um, if if you are a 20 person agency um, it, it's probably still quite difficult to to justify um, having a full-time data and analytics team or, or even person on your staff because they're going to be underutilized. And you certainly can't carry, you know, an animator and a videographer and a full-time, uh, you know, uh, uh, people who do different kinds of content for full-time. Um, and, and look, and Edelman is a great example of an agency that has brought in you know, literally hundreds of those people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Right. Um, but, but if you're a, if you're a, a two hundred person firm, right. You know, or or a hundred person firm. Yeah. I think you could start to do a lot of that. You can, and um, and to be honest, if you're a two hundred or hundred person firm, you're just focusing on fewer specialist areas, aren't you? You're, yeah. Yeah. And. and right. You know, you're and, a W2O, for example, that's focused on yeah, healthcare right. and tech, and you can still do that. And it, for, you know, it's firms in that it's mm. firms in that sort of twenty million to a hundred million dollar range mm -hmm. that we see driving growth and innovation in the business. Yeah. Right? It's um, it, it's firms that have enough scale to be able to modernize, but are not so big that modernization becomes that you know that this huge challenge i mean like i said you know if you're if you're an allison and partners mm. you need to find a couple of those people uh -huh. if you're edelman or, or weber shandwick or now burson conan wolf you need to find hundreds of them mm. and i'm not convinced that there are hundreds of people out there who have this background in data and analytics have this background in content creation have you know who, uh -huh. who are you know creative types 
who are desperately trying to get into the PR business. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it's you know, for who PR is the the dream. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, I I think yes, yes, you need a certain amount of scale to um, to be able to afford to carry those people, but you also can reach a point in scale where you know the transformation just becomes a hugely daunting challenge because you need so many of them mm. and and yes some firms have been more successful than others and you know we keep coming back to 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 Edelman and and Weber as the great examples and i think you know i think most people in the industry would agree with us um and then add their own name to the list uh, but but they have been, you know, they they have been the two firms that that have succeeded um, in doing this to a greater extent mm. than their competitors. Um, but you know, you wonder whether the last twelve months show that even for those firms, there are limits. Mm-hmm. Now we've made it thirty-five minutes in, and we have not talked about culture communication, um, two factors that are probably going to determine the success of this merger. Yeah. Um, you know, I, so it was very interesting to me that there was a lot of talk about the complementary nature of the two firms, right? And I think that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, broadly speaking, Bursa Marstella corporate, Conan Wolf consumer versus Marstella establishment, Conan Wolf disruptor. Um, so yeah, there 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 are very few conflicts. Um, you know, I, I'd be a little surprised if none emerged, but there are very few conflicts, um, and be, because they do such different things. But of course, that's just another way of saying they're very different firms, mm. and they're very different firms with very different cultures, mm-hmm. and. Again, you know, the, the, the big question here is, you know, what is the, what is the right balance um, between um, respecting the culture of the firm that is being taken over and, um, and, and acknowledging that that culture needs to be transformed? Um, how much internal disruption is necessary and good um, and how much of it um, ends up destroying you know what what you required I mean what what we have to remember here is as, as much as we've been criticizing Bursa Marstella's um, stagnation is that this is a what a 400 500 million dollar uh-huh. PR agency um, with a lot of clients who presumably like what they're there because they like what they're getting from Bursa Marstella mm. and they like the people who are delivering it to them. Mm. And, you know, you, you would not want to do anything to alienate all of those clients. Mm. Um, so, you know, you have to be respectful of the culture. You have to listen to, um, to the people who've created that culture and built it up. Um, you know, you, you, you can't go in and, um, you know, start, start swinging a hatchet. Um, 
or you know disrespecting those people so much that they feel like they have no alternative but to head for the exits i mean i'm sure that i'm sure that there are some you know that there's some headcount and, and frankly some salary overhead um that wpp would be quite happy um mm. to see go yeah but striking that striking that balance is incredibly difficult yeah um and you know I, you you said earlier we've both seen our share of of M and A in this business. I still believe that that you know at least at least two thirds of mergers and acquisitions in the PR business um, fail to deliver. Yeah, I mean, I, I I feel like I don't know. It's it's not often that I'm more cynical than you, but I actually feel the proportion is higher. Yeah, um, yeah. And look, I, I, two and two equals three far more often than it equals five mm. in these things. Um, you know, we 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 we've calculated the combined revenue of um, of these two agencies at around seven hundred million. I mm. think um, it 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 wouldn't be a great surprise to see Burson Cohn and Wolf at six hundred million before two years. Before they two years or three years from now, um, and it would, you know, yeah, yeah, mm. um, you know, there may be a there may be a one step back, two steps forward phenomenon, and those two step forwards, steps forward may never happen. That's mm. that's not unusual in the PR business. Yeah, um, I think the alacrity with which everything has happened, you know, it's I think it's well known now. There was an internal leak, so the announcement was brought forward by three weeks. Um, probably meant that, that a lot of the the planning and communication, I think, was compromised. Um, so you had a situation where I think a lot of people found out. Uh, certainly, you know, leaders on the Burson side did did find out just just shortly before the world found out, um, right. which is not always that surprising in mergers of of this scale. I mean, it it, it can't be common knowledge for a reason. Um, right. And 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 these are kind of closely guarded secrets um but all of this is i think i wouldn't say it's easy but especially for an industry that specializes in communication and in change management um it should be you know straightforward let's say um, to handle yeah, this yeah, as you say, it you know there 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 are some regulatory obstacles to yep. notifying people before you've notified the market mm-hmm. when you're when you're in a publicly traded company like this, and 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 yeah, and and yes, circumstances can shift quite abruptly, but um, you know there are there are <laughs> there are people within within the organization who know. Or have a pretty good idea what the future holds for them, mm. but have not been officially notified yeah. yet. Yeah. Um, you know, because we've you in particular, but you know, we've we talked to some of those people, um, and, and yeah, that that is clearly less than ideal. Um, it, it it's um, it, it's very easy for for that, even even if if the delay between you know, figuring it out and being told um, is only a few days for that to become a sort of festering mm. issue. Um, yeah. And, 
yeah, um, yeah, communication will be key and listening is important and, um, you know, sort of constant engagement and, and clear communication of, um, you know, a vision and a strategy for achieving that vision um, is, is going to be very important. And um, as you say, uh, you know, this, this, this was, um, this was long, a long time in the planning but then sort of rather abruptly forced forward yeah. and uh, you know you can understand that that might have that might have um thrown off the scheduling at the same time you know if you have a plan um then you know you ought to be able to execute that plan three weeks earlier than than you expected to um in theory so the good news is that less than six months, or less than three months even, if you think about it, um, since the appointment of Barry Rafferty as the first female global CEO of a top five PR firm, which in its own right was so long overdue, um, Donna Imperato now becomes CEO of the world's third largest PR firm. And when you take that along with Barry Rafferty's Elevation, and with Karen Van Bergen, who of course oversees something like one, something like 1.3 billion in public relations revenue. Um, it's a much, it's a much better, a much improved picture for for women at the top of the PR industry. Um, it's still not by any stretch good enough. I mean, I think we we know that the the um, the leadership of especially big PR firms is still dominated um, by men, despite being an industry uh, which is something like 70% women overall. Um, but that, I think, is one of the, the, the kind of really positive outcomes from this story. Uh, anything you wanted to say on that? Yeah, I, I just think... Look, I think it's a good thing. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'd say that the glass ceiling has been shattered, but no, it's certainly, yeah. it's, it's certainly more permeable than than it was. Yeah. Um, you know, both both Barry and Donna are outstanding professionals and outstanding managers, yeah. um, and they um, they both deserve the opportunity that they are now being given. Um, you know. Um, and and I think if you are, you know, if you're a, a woman in the agency business now, you can see a path to the top of the business mm. that doesn't involve leaving your agency and starting something of your own. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the, the reality is that um, if if you if you weren't an entre entrepreneur mm. a year ago, it, it looked like there was a pretty um you know a pretty solid limit to where you could go and i don't want to you know I, I i don't want to ignore um you know people like marcia silverman at, at, yeah. at ogilvy marjorie kraus you know, as well had a, had a leadership role well but marjorie's an entrepreneur right marjorie yeah, falls sure. into that um, yep. You know, Marjorie and Melissa, uh, uh, we and, and people like that, and Marina Ma and Madeline DeVries and all of those people who had to start their own agencies mm. um, and build hugely successful businesses. 
um, you know, all credit to them. And that th there have been people in the agency world um, who who've li who've risen to to sort of leadership of sort of next tier, not not top five, but top mm -hmm. fifteen agencies. Yep. Um, but you know, I think I think I think at this point, you know, I I don't I I think we were in we were in Dubai last week, mm. and one of the most sort of passionate and articulate questions from the audience came from a student mm -hmm. yes. who wanted, you know, a, a female student mm. at, uh, at, a, at a university there who wanted to know, you know, can I, can I really rise to be a leader in this business or, yeah. or you know, is it always going to be you know, I I, I I flinch every time I hear pale male and stale. But you know, is it always going to is it always going to be well? Because nobody is paler than I am. Um, yes, indeed. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's. I mean, it, it it is it is an issue that that our industry needs to address and instill confidence in in you know, particularly people coming into the business, mm. that there's a way forward. And I, I just think, you know, from that perspective, this has to be a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and, and you know, and, and Donna and Barry are, you know, sort of different people, but, you know, they, they're, both, they're both great professionals. They're both um, strong, smart leaders. They both have a track record. They've certainly earned it. Um, yeah. you know, and finally earning it, you know, is enough if you're a woman yeah. to get you the job, which is, you know, which is as it should be. I mean, you know, I, I, there have been many women before them who earned it and didn't get it yeah. or, you know, were worthy of the opportunity and didn't get it. And so I think it's great. That it's finally happening. Yeah. And that was a, I mean, that was a, a really great question that you, you mentioned that we, we got at the Dubai conference and actually, from a student and it, it always it, it makes me smile because I, I just I find we often get the best questions at our conferences from students uh, which I, I yeah, suspect look, I, I have I have suffered through I've suffered through a dozen panels at our events and others yeah. uh, of, of sort of you know middle-aged professionals bemoaning the difficulties of managing millennials but <laughs> But look, I honestly look at what look at what's happening in Florida with mm. with the high school kids in Florida changing the terms of the gun debate. Yeah, that's Gen and Z. These are passionate, articulate, intelligent, yeah. critical thinking kids. Mm. Um, you know, if this is if this is a generation that we're going to have to manage in in three to five years, you know, they're not going to make it easy, but they're going to make it difficult in all the right ways. I, I'm very, I, you know, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not quite sure how we got onto this topic, talking about Burson, Mastella and Conan Wolf, but I'm very excited about yeah, the no. next generation. I, I mean, I, well, I think I would only make the point that that, that generation is Gen Z and not millennials. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'll say little else on this topic. So yeah. we probably should wrap because we've been going for, I think, almost 50 minutes now. There is... Much more, of course, on this story on our website. Um, there's a big long read going up. If you're a subscriber, you will get priority access to it. So well done to you, and thank you for being a subscriber. 
Um, there are, of course, other news stories. There will be more to come. I mean, one of the most interesting things here is the kind of armchair Kremlinology that takes place as we, uh, as we see who will take on the various leadership roles uh, in different regions, in different markets, uh, different practices. Um, of course, there's, there's questions around the industry, uh, whether this will um, presage greater consolidation. I, I certainly can't see less coming, but um, that will be an interesting one to watch. Uh, and, and, you know, there are, there are questions... Of course, not just around Burson Cohen and Wolf, but around other WPP PR agencies as well and what this, this means for them. And we'll be doing our best to, to try and at least raise some of those and, and maybe provide some answers in the days, weeks, and months to come. Um, so any final words from you, Paul, on Burson Cohen and Wolf? No, I mean, I, you know, obviously, um, I... Yeah, I'd like to think that the entire industry is rooting for this to be a success. Um, they're not. You know, we've... we've <laughs> I'll tell you right now, should, they're not. They should be. You know, a, a, a strong, a strong Burson Marstello, a strong Cone, Burson Conan Wolf is, is good for all of us. Mm, I agree. Um, I mean, yeah. You know, and and look, we've we've we've. I don't think we've dwelt um, overly on the negative, but we've certainly, um, you know, I think gone through some of the questions that right. that we, the industry, and and everybody else out there has to be asking. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, as it, it it's good for our industry, it's good for our profession, it's good for for all of us. Um, if if the third biggest PR agency in the world is firing on all cylinders and doing great work and making the PR industry better and, you know, generating thought leadership and, and, and acting like a leader. And, you know, I think I, we, we should all be rooting for this to succeed. Mm. Yes, I agree with you, but I'm not convinced <laughs> Everyone does, but you know, such is the nature of a competitive no, industry, but, I guess. But you know, yeah. I mean, there's a bigger picture. Yeah, of course. You know, well, everybody, everybody wants everybody wants to take a little bit of market share. Look, I'm sure that there are. I would hate to describe them as vultures, um, but there are certainly sort of um, flying creatures circling, um, waiting for the talent um, to. To, um, ready to, to head for the, the exits. Yes, they are ready to swoop. Um, you know, but and and that's understandable. But at the but but at the end of the day, you know, you have to balance that with the fact that um, this is not a zero sum game. No, I think, um, I think you're quite right. And 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 you know, our industry needs to be our industry needs to be strong and smart and credible and authentic and all of those things. Mm. And um, if the big players are not, it reflects on the entire industry. So, yeah, all good points. Paul, thank you so much. Big thank you to our production partner, Marketeers, and of course, our sponsor, March. Um, we'll be back with the Echo Chamber again, no doubt, next week. Thank you all for listening. Um, and let us know what you think about the Burson Conan Wolf merger. Um, we'd love to hear your views um, and we'd love to hear your questions as well. So thank you all.
You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by March Communications, connecting innovation and people. Thank you.